I want you to think about what we've already talked about some in the service, that you see God for the first time. What, what word comes to mind? There are indeed many words that ought to come to mind. To be fair, if you are considering the character and nature of God, there are many words to consider. Love, justice, righteousness, holiness, wrath might be one, uh, fury. Indeed, the psalmist says he comes on the clouds like fire in the sky at one point. Um, we can think of those images. We can think of all these things, and yet one that comes to mind above the rest and that is echoed over and over in Scripture is holy. And that word is a term that we have segregated to mean bright light. Right? Like, when you think holy, what do you think? Bright light. Right? That's... The word means more than that. It means sanctified, set apart. In particular, it means a, a perfection. Holy is that being without, is that, that of being without flaw. <coughs> Holy is that which is without flaw, which is perfect in every way. It is Holy, it is sanctified, it is good and just. So, we consider this as we approach this text and recognize what the author is saying. That all the things that have happened in the Old Testament, all of these ancient rituals, all of these religious practices that they engaged in all the time, these, these things were shadows of what, was, of what is perfect, not what was, what is perfect. Perfect. So as we approach this, I want to grasp that and just put that in the forefront of your mind that we are talking about a perfection. About the perfect God. So, let us dive in here. Chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continuously offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleaned, would no longer have any conscience, consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you take no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. To do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. 
He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of sins, there is no longer any offering for sin. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. So, we come to this text this morning and I want to remind you just from the outset that there is a shadow being cast in the Old Testament of heavenly realities. So we've got this heavenly reality, and the Old Testament is casting a shadow of those things against the wall. And people are looking at the shadow, hoping for salvation. Hoping that in some religious activity, they can be saved. And they're gripping tightly to their own righteousness, and they're holding on with all that they have. And they are, <coughs> they're grasping hold of it tightly and They are uh, focused on trying to be right with God. Here's the problem. The problem is, bulls and goats don't make us right with God. Religious activity doesn't make us right with God. Standing up daily in a temple and waving your arms back and forth while smoke emits to heaven from an offering does not Make us right with God. Constant confession over and over does not make us right with God. Being a good person who does good things does not make us right with God. Indeed, no acts or works of our hands will make us right with God. There is one thing, one thing only, that can make us right with God, and that is Jesus Christ and His righteousness. Trusting in that is the one thing that will make us right with God. And yet, there is an entire system of religion and law by which people have strived to be right with God. So let's dive in here in verse 10. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, 
It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continuously, that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. So I, I told you to get in your mind when you first see God, you first see Christ. The, the scripture tells us what our response will be, which is to fall flat. Talked about that. We, we fall flat before him, which is amazing. Have you ever been dumbfounded by somebody? Met somebody that you had so much respect for that you couldn't talk? I, I have. I have, I've been in the presence of somebody that I had so much respect and admiration for that I just stumbled over my words and, and fell flat. This is the image that you get. You see God and all his holiness and goodness and, and all of a sudden you go, I didn't realize who I was meeting. I didn't realize who this was until I came face to face with him and it fell flat. That's, this is the, the image we get here of he is perfect, holy. He is perfect. And if he's perfect, you're going to recognize you're not. You're going to see that you're not perfect and you're going to fall flat in front of him. This is the reality of of Jesus when we meet him. You're going to fall flat before the Lord who is perfect. And the only way to stand up and to meet his gaze is for you to be perfect. So the, the high priest would go in and out of the temple and he would purify himself. He'd take ritual baths. He'd take specific showers. He'd put specific fragrances on. He wore perfect clothes. And this high priest who lived this ritualistic life, who never faltered in his ritualistic practice, that high priest was not perfect enough. Because he had to do it again and again and again and again. And every year he had to repeat it. And the author of Hebrews points this out saying, wouldn't they have stopped offering sacrifices if those sacrifices were able to make them perfect? Wouldn't they have stopped? The sacrifices are not able to make them perfect. And here's why. Because the heart of man doesn't change just because you wipe it off. The heart of a man doesn't change just because you wiped it off. Just because you pick up something that is filthy, and you just wipe off the top of it. It doesn't change the substance of that thing. And the heart of man is what is the problem. Jeremiah puts it this way. He says, the heart is wicked and deceitful above all else. Just a side note, if anybody ever tells you trust your heart, you should quote that. Why would I trust something deceitfully wicked? That should be your first response. I'm not going to trust that. I'm going to trust Christ. I'm going to ask him what to do. That's, that's your first response. So, if you pick up something that is inherently wicked, inherently sinful, inherently dirty, it's dirty at its core, wiping it off doesn't save it. That's what, that's what we were doing with the Old Testament sacrificial law. We were wiping it off. I want you to note, it's not the law that's wicked. It's not the Old Testament system that is wicked. That Old Testament system is beautiful. 
It is a shadow of the reality that is to come in Jesus Christ. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, how the artist is commissioned, and he puts up all these uh, things that point to the master, and he's told to do the same strokes every day, and it never makes sense until the master shows up and sits in the chair and tears the curtain and says, there's more for you to see. This is a beautiful picture of the reality of Jesus Christ, the reality of knowing him and walking with him. The Old Testament is not wrong or wicked. It's not the law that was the problem. It's the heart. And so how do we change the heart? Verse 5, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, sacrifices and offerings, he says, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt, off, burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law, then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, the will of God, by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So here's what happens. Jesus in heaven comes down from heaven, having been pictured, having been pictured for thousands of years in the Old Testament. He's had these pictures of himself everywhere. You see it constantly. Moses goes up on the mountain and comes back down, and he's the picture of Jesus interceding on our behalf for our sins. He brings the stone tablets down. He grinds up their idols. He puts it in their water and it makes waste. It makes waste to their idols. The same way Jesus does with us. That we can't even reform our idols and return to idolatry because he has changed our insides. There's constant pictures in the Old Testament of Jesus Christ. David stands before Goliath. You recognize you're not David, right? Just Everybody gets that. You're not David. David is Jesus. Goliath is sin. David crushes the head of Goliath. Jesus crushes the head of the snake, cuts it off. Victory on whose behalf? Israel's behalf. The people of God get victory because Jesus kills the snake. You've got the, the snake vipers that show up in the Old Testament that Jesus uses and says, when I am lifted up, when the Son of Man is lifted up, all men will be drawn to Him and they will see. And in seeing Him, they will find salvation. That's the same image of Moses who uh, is told, kill a snake, lift it up on a big pole. Anybody who looks at the snake dead on the pole, the crushed head of the snake, will be saved from the viper's bite. Jesus dies on a cross and is lifted up. And we see the head of the snake crushed by his sacrifice. And he, you look to him, Isaiah says, look unto him and you will be saved. Look to him. So simple, so easy to do. And yet our culture would rather we have 5,000 activities that make us holy. Charles Spurgeon said if you gave somebody seven 
things to do that were near impossible, that were impossible. They would strive with all that they are to do them. But if you tell them, trust in Jesus, they will reject it. It is true. It is true that mankind wants so much to be righteous on his own. That we grab hold of life with all that we are. And we say, I am going to make myself good. And we fail over and over and over. All the while, Jesus is standing there with arms wide open saying, I can make you clean. Only trust me. That's it. How beautiful is this? This God that we serve who has every right to obliterate us. And he says, only trust me. Only trust me. So, here in this passage he says, verse 10, And by that will, so this is the will of God, by the will of God that Jesus submits to, shares in, by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Notice the tense. That's a perfect tense. We have been sanctified. A perfect tense verb in Greek is one that emphasizes the continuing action that comes after the event. That's the emphasis here. That you have been sanctified. So the emphasis is on the fact that you were sanctified and continue to be sanctified here. You are made holy, and check this out, you're made holy by the will of God. It's God's will that you are made holy in this way. There's not a plan B. This has always been the way things work. You trust in Jesus Christ and you're made holy, but not made holy once. He doesn't pick you up and wipe you off and then tell you to keep walking. He doesn't pick you up and wipe you off and tell you to keep walking. That's what the Old Testament did. The Old Testament sacrificial law picked you up every time you sinned, wiped you off with a cloth, and then told you, keep walking. You're going to have to come back because you're going to get dirty again because what's inside you is going to come out again. No, God does something totally different. Ezekiel chapter 36 puts it this way. He says, I will take your heart of flesh and I, I will take your heart of stone. Sorry, I will take your heart of stone and I will take it from you and I will put in you a heart of flesh and I will sprinkle you with clean water. And you will be my people and I will be your God. And that's what Jesus does. He takes that sinful nature that's inside you. He rips it out. Colossians says, cuts it off. And he puts in you a new nature that you get to learn to walk in now. This is a perfect tense. You continue to walk in sanctification because you have been utterly changed and altered. You are not the same. You are different. And that is through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And then he goes back to this picture here in verse 11. So first, you have been sanctified. Grasp that. Hold tight to that. When you are struggling in the dark days, when you're looking in the mirror and you think you only see what is wicked in your heart, remember, He has sanctified you. You are sanctified. Sanctification is like driving. 
you have been sanctified and that you started the car. You are being sanctified and that you are driving. And you will be sanctified when you reach your destination. You are sanctified. Continuous. Remember, the emphasis is on the, the result. And you are holy now before God. You are holy before God. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Just keeps wiping them off. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. There's a bit of a translation issue here at the end that I just want to address real quick. Uh, the phrase there at the end of this passage, it should read exactly what we just read. Who are being sanctified. It should read that. If you have a NASB, I think the King James, um, a couple others, the RSV, a few others say something to the effect of were sanctified or something. I don't, I don't remember, but it's slightly different. Um, this is a present tense. It should continue. Being sanctified here. That should be what this is. And that will come into play in just a second. But I want you to read here. First, he juxtaposes the sacrifices of the priests who stand daily offering repeated sacrifices. They continuously pick up and wipe off and then put back. Pick up, wipe off, put back. Pick up, wipe off, put back. It's like having children and having to clean your house. right? They, you continuously have to clean the thing. It's not. It, it seems like nothing has to be wrong but you continuously have to pick up and clean your house over and over and over and over. It's, the house is never perfect if people live in it. Right? Never perfect if people live in it. Now, this priest does the same thing. Picking up, cleaning up, cleaning off, putting back over and over and over. But Christ, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Let's notice the contrast. First, the high priest or the priest who offers sacrifice daily stands. He is constantly working. Constantly having to labor. Jesus Christ, on the other hand, sits. He offers his sacrifice and he takes the seat of victory. And he sits down at the right hand of God, claiming victory and it's done. Like he says on the cross, it is finished. Another way to say that, it is perfected. Same word. He sits down at the right hand of God, having completed the work. It is done. It is finished. It is perfect. It is perfected. Verse 13, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. There's an interesting thing. If he's sitting in the chair of victory, why are his enemies not already a footstool for his feet? And I would tell you this, because God is patient, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to uh, saving knowledge of Christ. 
That is, all who will believe should come to faith in Christ. He is not slow, as some count slowless, but he's patient. You see, Jesus uh, here in this passage is much like an officer of the law who has pulled you over for speeding. I want you to imagine driving, you get pulled over. Right? You're driving along, pulls over. Cop lights come on, you see it, they shine that bright light in your rearview mirror, and if you're like me, you turn the mirror down so it doesn't blind you, and they shine the lights, and you get your things, you know, you find the, the insurance thing that you didn't know you still had, and there's five of them, they're all out of date, you got me? You put on the seatbelt you didn't have on, you put your arms up on the steering wheel, you've got your license and your registration and your insurance and all that in your hand, and you put your hands on the steering wheel, and you wait. For three years. For the police officer to walk ten feet. And he makes you wait. And you sit there. And you know in your head, judgment has landed. Judgment has landed. But the execution of that judgment is stayed until he reaches the car. So you do your best. You get out your insurance and stuff. You get everything ready. And you get ready for the execution of the judgment to land. But you have to wait until he walks to the car. And in that time period that he's walking to the car, you can do so many things wrong. You can get out of the car, which means you're going to be in handcuffs. You can make a lot of noise, turn up your radio, which means you're getting a ticket. You can act crazy, which means you're going to get a ticket. You can sit with your hands politely on the wheel and wait 50-50 chance to get a ticket. The officer of the law who has come to execute judgment knocks on the window, if you didn't open it already, and says, do you know how fast you were going? And you enter into that weird exchange where you want to be like, you clearly know how fast I was going. Why are you asking? It's like when somebody asks you, did you know your taillight's out? And you know, I drive from inside the car. Taillight's out there. But so, no, of course. So the officer then executes judgment. You see, in the same way, judgment has landed here. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Judgment has landed. Execution of judgment is postponed. The execution of that judgment is postponed. And God is patiently waiting for those to repent. For people to repent from their sin. So he says here, he's waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Oh, what a patient and merciful God We have for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So Jesus makes one offering. He dies on the cross once one offering and that offering perfects you. Did you notice it doesn't say by one offering he perfects himself. He's already perfect. He's perfect. It says by one offering. He perfects for all time. Perfects for all time. 
those who are being sanctified. That's us. He makes you perfect and complete. Now. He makes you perfect and complete. Now. I think one of the, the greatest revelations that ever hit landed on me and, and solidly knocked me off my feet was the idea that God actually likes you. That He actually likes you. That He enjoys you. That, that He likes when you are His. He actually enjoys you as a person. So, so we read here that He perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Oh, Christian, if you could understand that He has made you perfect, that you are perfected before Him, that there's no sin in His eyes for you, only a Father with His arms out for you. Only a Father with His arms out for you, ready to grab you, and hold you, and love you. Only a Father who wants to walk with you, to raise you up. Only a Father who says, I will live inside you, and give you life. If we could grasp that, how much more victorious would we be over sin? If we could grasp that we are freed, that we're not bound to it. So when it comes, we can say to it, I don't need you. I don't need this sin. I don't need it. How glorious that is. You are perfected. And you are at the same time those who are being sanctified. This is the interesting play here. You are perfect in God's eyes. You are perfect. You have been perfected. And I'm not going to dance around that and say that's, you know, it doesn't mean completely perfect. No, it means perfect. But there's more. There's more. Holiness is not a line that you reach. Holiness is a life that you live. It's a direction that you walk. A person can be perfect and still have holiness to achieve, still have sanctification to achieve. So we, who are being sanctified, who are living holy lives, are perfect. And how do you know that that describes you? I would say there's two things to look for. One, that you hate your sin. One, that you hate sin, because it's not you. It's not you. It doesn't define you, and so when it's in you and around you, it bothers you. That's one. Two, is that you look at your life in the past and you go, I am different now than I was then. And I am growing more towards holiness than I was then. I am further along the path towards holy than I was back then. Two ways to check, to see if this is you that it's talking about. If that's not you that it's talking about, I implore you, repent and trust in Jesus Christ for your righteousness, and you will be saved. And you will be made perfect. 